You are listening to episode 41 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher, welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. In all circumstances, keep in mind to turn to yourself and ask what resources you have for dealing with these things. If you see a good-looking man or woman, you will find self-control, the appropriate power. If pain afflicts you, you will find endurance. If rudeness, you will find patience. By developing these habits, you will not be carried away by your first impressions. Enchiridion 10 While this passage deals directly with the discipline of ascent, it also entails the disciplines of desire and action. When we pull this passage apart, we get a glimpse into how quickly assents to impressions can create desires and aversions and lead to impulses to act. The primary point of this lesson from Epictetus is to show us we possess the resources necessary to stop the quick progression from assent to impulse to act. Epictetus highlights three impressions in this passage and provides specific resources we can use to deal with each. Now here's the process as it applies to each of these three examples. In step one, an impression presses itself upon our mind. So in the first example, we say, I just saw a good-looking man or woman. In the second, I feel a pain in my body or I'm facing some other hardship. And then in the third, I just encountered a rude person. In step two, we immediately attach a value judgment to that impression. That good-looking man or woman is something good for me. That pain in my body is something bad for me. That person's rude behavior is bad for me. That judgment creates a desire or aversion and a subsequent impulse to act. I desire that good-looking man or woman, therefore I'm going to reach out to them. I fear this pain in my body or this hardship that I'm facing, so I'm going to avoid it. That rude person offended me, I'm going to make them stop, or I'm going to retaliate. Now, if we were sages, we wouldn't get past step one because we would not place the value judgment on the impression to begin with. However, we are not sages and neither were Epictetus' students. That is why he is informing us that we possess the powers and resources that we can use to interrupt this sequence after we've assented to the value judgment and before the impulse to act leads us to bad behavior. Now, before I tackle each of these examples, I want to make one point clear. Epictetus' goal for this lesson is to help us develop habits that prevent us from being carried away by impressions into a state of emotional distress, pathos. The goal is not to turn us into some Dr. Spock-like, emotionless, disconnected observer of events. Epictetus is not telling us that we should not find a good-looking man or woman attractive. He is not telling us to ignore the pain in our bodies or the effects of hardship on us. He is not telling us to be oblivious to rude behavior. Instead, Epictetus is teaching us that we have the resources within ourselves to judge each of these impressions correctly and respond appropriately. This lesson is important because we frequently allow the initial judgment of an impression to carry us away and cause us to spiral out of control emotionally. 
Too often, this leads to an entirely inappropriate response, inappropriate behavior. With that in mind, let's look at each of these impressions that Epictetus uses in this lesson and how we can use the resources that he's told us we have to deal with them. First, we have the good-looking man or woman. Observing and appreciating beauty is natural. There is nothing wrong with observing a man or a woman and assenting to the judgment that they are good-looking. Nature created us to appreciate beauty. The problem starts when we allow that first impression and initial judgment of beauty to carry us away with desire. We are mistaken if we assent to the impression that having that good-looking man or woman as a life companion or sexual partner is good and therefore will bring us well-being or happiness. Their presence in our life could be a preferred indifferent at best. Alternatively, as many of us are quite aware, it may lead to some real dispreferred indifference that we did not foresee when we first laid eyes on this good-looking man or woman. Apicetus tells us that we possess the power of temperance or moderation as a resource to deal with the impression before it becomes an impulse to act. But how and when do we use this resource? We already attached the value judgment of good to the impression of the good-looking man or woman, and a desire may be starting to take control of us. Now, if we let it take control, we may begin to fantasize about the good-looking person mentally. Then, we may be overcome by an impulse to act, which can lead to immoral behavior. Now, in Enchiridion 10, Epictetus is referring to scenarios where the impulse to act, in this case, would be immoral. Obviously, we can think of numerous scenarios where a person's assent to the good looks of another person might lead one to seek their company as a preferred indifferent without that actually being immoral. That is not the lesson that Epictetus is presenting here. The Stoics did not advocate celibacy. However, they did teach moderation in all things. So how do we apply the power of temperance or moderation in this scenario? We must begin with the practice I taught in episode 9. When the impression of a good-looking man or a woman is presented to our mind, we must stop it, strip it bare, and see it from the cosmic perspective. Refer to episode 9 if you're unclear about what those three steps actually are. Now, the good news is that as long as we can engage in this process of stop it, strip it, see it from a higher perspective, before we get to the point where we are engaged in bad activity, we can circumvent the process. In other words, We may have already assented to the idea that the good-looking person is good for us, and we may already be driven by desire and feel the impulse to act. As long as we say stop to ourselves before we act, it's not too late. If we can stop it before we act, we have the time to strip it bare. Now, just in case anybody is confused at this point, strip it bare applies to the impression, not to the good-looking man or woman. Please don't try to strip them bare. Not only is that not a part of Stoic practice, it will likely get you in a whole lot of trouble. So the first thing we do is we tell ourselves, stop it. This is where that teacher within us from episode 36 steps in to guide the child within us. When we stop it, we create a gap that allows us enough time to consider the impression for what it is. That gap gives us time to strip the impression bare. It gives us time to realize that this good-looking man or woman is a potential preferred indifferent rather than something that is good or can actually affect our well-being. Finally, we see it from the cosmic perspective. How did this good-looking man or woman come into my awareness? 
Are they simply a stranger that was passing by on the street? Or did you meet them under circumstances that might cause you to give more consideration to them as a preferred indifferent in your life? Sometimes a confluence of events creates synchronicities in our lives that deserve our consideration. This is where we can apply the power of temperance and moderation. After we stop it and strip it, we can use the power of temperance and moderation as we see this impression from the cosmic perspective. We can ask ourselves things like, is this desire for this good-looking person consistent with our values and goals of living in agreement with nature? What might happen, good or bad, if I follow this impulse to act? Finally, are my thoughts and behaviors moderated by a desire to act appropriately? Ultimately, the goal of Stoic practice is to move the stop-it step farther back in the chain of events. At first, we may only be able to stop it at the impulse-to-act stage before we act. Then, with practice, we can move the stop-it step back to where we first feel the desire or aversion taking hold of our psyche. Finally, we can move it back further and learn to say stop it to ourselves as soon as we recognize we have attached a value judgment to an impression. Now, the next example is pain or hardship. Like beauty, pain in our body serves a purpose. It can be a warning sign that something is wrong with us. We would be foolish to ignore it completely. Unfortunately, we frequently allow pain to control our lives, even when it's minor. We don't like pain, and we will do almost anything we can to avoid it altogether. The problem starts when we allow the initial judgment of pain or hardship to be something bad and to carry us away with an aversion. We are mistaken if we assent to the impression that pain or hardship is bad for us and will detract from our well-being in any way. Epictetus tells us we possess the power of endurance as a resource to deal with pain or hardship. But how and when do we apply this resource? Well, it's the same way that we did with the good-looking man or woman. We say, stop it to ourselves. Stop it. It's just pain. Stop it. It's just hardship. It's doubtful that this is going to kill me. When we strip it, we recognize that pain is a signal, and we diagnose the urgency of the signal. It may be urgent enough that we need immediate medical attention. If that's the case, we can still proceed calmly. And a little premeditatio malorum may be helpful. What is the worst that can happen? I may die. And if I'm going to die, I can choose to die nobly and keep my good character intact. On the other hand, if this is just a minor pain or an impediment to my body, I already learned how to deal with that in Enchiridion 9. Now we can move forward to the see it from a cosmic perspective stage. And we can ask ourselves things like, is this pain or hardship really, truly bad for me? Can I endure this pain or hardship? And if I do endure it, will it make me a stronger person as a result? Pain and hardship are not bad for our moral character. In fact, the Stoics argue that hardships actually help develop our character. Absent any trials, struggles, or tests, how should we or how can we develop our moral character? In Discourses 1-6, Epictetus uses the mythological figure of Hercules to make this point. He asks, what kind of man Hercules would have been if not for the lion, hydra, stag, boar, and wicked men that he had to battle and overcome? In other words, the character of Hercules was formed by the challenges he faced. Later in that same lesson, Epictetus provokes his students with the following challenge. Come on then, 
Now that you recognize these things and consider the faculties that you possess, and having done so, say, Bring on me now, Zeus, whatever trouble you may wish, since I have the equipment that you granted to me and such resources as will enable me to distinguish myself through whatever may happen. Christopher Gill, in his note on this passage, wrote, The human capacity to endure misfortune is presented as one of the distinctly human capacities provided by a divinely shaped universe. End quote. We can endure misfortune by using the human resource of endurance and forbearance. Pain, hardship, labor are not bad for us, and they cannot harm our moral character. However, they can be used to help develop our character, if we choose so. By enduring and forbearing what fate brings us, we grow and develop our moral character. Seneca wrote, But why was God so unfair when distributing fate that he matched good men with poverty and wounds and untimely death? An artisan cannot change his material. Nature has not allowed this. Certain things cannot be separated from certain other things. They hold together. They are indivisible. Minds that are sluggish and liable to fall asleep or to be awake in a way that is no different from sleep are woven from inactive elements. To fashion a man who can genuinely be called a man, a stronger fate is needed. For him, the way will not be flat. He must go up and down. He must be tossed by waves and must guide his vessel on a stormy sea. He must hold his course against fortune. Many things will happen that are hard and rough but things he can soften and smooth out himself. Fire proves gold. Misery, brave men. On Providence, 5, 9 through 10. As I've said in the past, bear and forbear only gets us halfway there. Why? Because it lacks the attitude of gratitude for everything that happens in the cosmos. However, as Stoic Prokoptons, who are on the path, but who have not arrived at virtue yet, Bear and forbear may be the best that we can do sometimes and in some circumstances when we are facing great pain or perceived personal tragedy. In those times, our goal is to endure at the moment, and hopefully, sometime later, we will be able to see the event from the cosmic perspective and develop that attitude of gratitude. Finally, we come to our third example of rudeness. This can come in many ways. A rude driver, a rude person in the checkout line, a rude neighbor, a coworker, a boss, etc. The impression of rude behavior is presented to our mind and we immediately attach the value judgment to this rude behavior that it is bad. We may feel insulted or even disrespected. Now, we should pay attention to personal insults and rudeness to the extent that this behavior may be a precursor to a physical attack that we need to avoid or counter with an appropriate defensive response. However, rudeness and insults cannot harm our moral character and diminish our well-being. Therefore, responding to rudeness or insults with the same is not an appropriate response. We must say, stop it to ourselves before the judgment that we have been wronged leads us to the impulse to act similarly. Then we can strip that impression bare by realizing our moral character cannot be harmed by the actions of others. Remember what we learned as children. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never harm me. That's pretty stoic when you think about it. Once we stop and strip the impression bare, we can see it from a cosmic perspective. 
Now, here's an invaluable lesson from Epictetus on the topic of perceived injury caused by others. Quote, What then? If someone injures me, won't I injure them in return? Consider first what the injury is, and recall what you have heard from the philosophers. If it is the case, then, that the good lies in choice, and that the bad likewise, see whether what you have just said amounts to this. Since the person in question has injured himself by inflicting some wrong on me, shouldn't I injure myself by inflicting some wrong on him? Why don't we picture the matter in some such way as that, instead of counting it as an injury when we suffer some loss? Discourses 2.10. Seeing rudeness from the cosmic perspective allows us to apply the power of patience to the situation. As we learned in episode 36, people behave badly because they have no knowledge of the good and bad. Meditations 2.1. We must remember rude people do not harm us. Their rudeness only harms them. In conclusion, Enchiridion 10 shares some resources that help us develop good habits and prevent us from being carried away by impressions. These resources are already within us, and Epictetus reminds us of this by telling us to turn to ourselves when we need these powers to deal with impressions. We simply need to practice these powers frequently so they become habitual. As Simplicius noted in his commentary on Enchiridion 10, quote, So with each external thing we encounter that drags us toward the outside, we mustn't be grabbed immediately by an impression and say that it is good or bad, or immediately rouse our desire or aversion. Instead, we should discover the ally that is in us and invoke its aid. Then together with it, and through it, we must ward off the thing we encounter. End quote. The goal of Stoic practice is to deny fuel to that initial spark of the first impression. That fuel is the value judgment that sets our desires and aversions ablaze and inspires inappropriate impulses to act. We possess the powers needed to extinguish the flames of the desires and aversions that lead us into pathos. To use those resources, we must turn inward to ourselves and rely on that wise teacher within us to guide the frequently unruly child that wants what it wants when it wants it. Nature gave us all the resources we need to deal with every event we encounter. We simply need to apply them. And if we apply them consistently, we will set our practice of Stoicism on fire. Thank you for listening to Stoicism on Fire. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That tells others that this podcast is worth listening to and helps introduce more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you're interested in exploring traditional Stoicism further, you will find plenty of resources at traditionalstoicism.com. If you're ready for an online mentored training program, check out the College of Stoic Philosophers at collegeofstoicphilosophers.org. That is where I received my initial education and training in the theory and practice of Stoicism. If you're interested in a social media environment where you can find some like-minded fellow travelers, join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, send me an email at chris at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue practicing the traditional form of Stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire 
I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of stoicism on fire. 